Hey, New Life Church, Bronson Duke here. Thanks for listening in. The heart of our church is that you would know Jesus, that you would walk with Jesus, and you would learn how to live like he lived. We hope that this message equips you and empowers you on your journey walking with Jesus. All right, all right. Let's actually stand back up. We're going to stand for the reading of God's Word. Hey. We're going to be reading from Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about what you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for what you're doing and what you've done. Holy Spirit, we ask that you speak to us. God, that you quicken our hearts. Uh, God, that in areas where we've fallen asleep or we've just gotten distracted, God, I pray that you'll wake us up this morning. Uh, God, I pray that you give us a fervor for your word. Uh, God, you fill us with faith. You fill us with love. And God, all that would be an overflow of the hope we have in you, Jesus. We thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Hey, you can have a seat. Uh, welcome. Uh, my name is Bronson, if you're new to our community. Um, anybody hit up the uh, art situation that opened yesterday? Anybody? The art museum? Uh, that, was it good? That's good. Okay. It, Kenny Chesney concert? Anybody? Any, who's, okay. I, hear, I don't see any hands, but I hear a little bit of admittance. Uh, that's good. I've got a story on that, but that's not for today. Okay. Um, Hey, y'all, if you're, if you're new, we're in uh, our second week of our study of the book of Colossians, and so we're just kind of walking week by week through the book of Colossians, and we're asking this question, what is an orthodox vision for Christian life? What's an orthodox vision for Christian life? So I, I think something that's helpful to look at is what does orthodox mean, right? Like, what is orthodoxy? Uh, orthodoxy are tried, true, and tested beliefs that the church has held throughout history. And so what we're doing is we're looking at the book of Colossians and saying, what does this teach us about life in faith, in relationship with other people, the work of Jesus? And so we're going to work through that each week. And what, we're, what the book of Colossians is going to do, it's going to paint a picture of freedom and flow flourishing, okay? Picture of freedom and flourishing, and it's going to hold up in sharp contrast with our world's view of freedom. Uh, it's interesting. Our world views, views freedom as the freedom to do whatever we want, right? Which is also ironically how teenagers think. Uh, <laughs> but the reality is biblical freedom is not the freedom to, it's the freedom not to, it's not the freedom to do whatever you want to do. It's the freedom to not have to do the things that your desires and things drive you to do. And so there's a quote from a great bit of film, Dr. Strange. It says, they said in the movie, you're never truly rid of your demons. You learn to live above them. And that's what Christianity teaches us is how to rule over the things that previously ruled us. Um, and so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, I've got a thesis. I know you're on the edge of your seats waiting for this one. Here's what it is. Because of the finished work, everyone say finished work. Because of the finished work of Jesus, we have hope. And this hope enables us, enables us to live an abundant life of faith and love. Um, sermon title, if you're taking notes, is Secure Hope. Um, 
Callie and I bought, bought our first home way back in uh, 2019. Uh, back then, believe it or not, you could buy a home for $80 a square foot. All right, Th- this is like the, the modern version. My grandpa would say, like, back in my day, you could buy a bag of candy for a nickel. Anybody have a grandparent say that? At one point, buying a house was affordable. That is not our world anymore, right? Uh, when we were preparing to buy our home, y'all, I was like agonizing over it. Like, is this the wise decision? Is this what we should be doing right now? So I was calling for tons of advice. I talked to a financial advisor. Callie and I went down to one car. We saved money and uh, made sure it was the right decision. Like, can we actually afford this? And so we bought the house. And then once we bought the house, it's like, okay, how do I become a good homeowner? And so for me, I really zeroed in on the lawn, as men do, right? And so I started calling people who had great lawns. I'm like, how'd you do it? You know, mentor me, disciple me. How do do I do this? And so, like, when do I put down the pre-emergent? When do I put down the fertilizer? Like, how low do I cut the grass when I first start? When do I I start bagging? You know, all that kind of stuff. And so I, I, I got obsessed with this. I wanted to get down the basics of homeownership. And what we're going to see here this morning is what Paul is laying out is the basics of faith so that we can become mature believers. His goal is not just simply faith, it's mature faith. And so what's happening in the book is this young Colossian church, which was started by this guy named Epaphras, um, was starting to get social pressure to accept other teachings and other ways of salvation. And so I don't know about you guys, but like when I was going through a youth group, did anybody get saved every week or at least feel like you needed to? Uh, like every week, if there was an altar call, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I need to raise my hand. I know I did it last week, but I don't feel like you know I'm there yet or whatever. This is basically what they're dealing with, is this spiritual insecurity, because people were coming around and saying, hey, you need to practice Judaism. It's not just Jesus, it's Jesus plus something. And the gospel that Epaphras taught was it's Jesus plus nothing that equals salvation. Now, here's how this plays out in our culture. We, we would say something like, maybe you've experienced this, like, hey, you have to be baptized in a certain way. And if you're not baptized in exactly this way, you're not actually saved. Now, here's what's interesting about that. That takes the work and the impetus from the finished work of God, and it actually puts the action on you to achieve salvation for yourself. And so what Paul is saying is salvation is not found, justification is not found through your action, but by God's action. And so what he's doing is he's coming in and he's saying, in fact, you, you do have the gospel. Like there's this sigh of relief. And so if you, if you go and you look how these letters were distributed, Paul would have written a letter. The congregation would have gotten together kind of like this and it would have been read aloud to them. And it would have been passed around to other communities. And there would have been this collective sigh of relief at the beginning here. You know, he, he opens and he says, uh, we always thank God for you. Now, if you think about this, you, you don't thank God for people who are just blowing it, right? Like, think about, like, if you're drafting an email to your employees, you're not like, I thank God that you're late every day, and you seem to always have an excuse for it. I'm just grateful. That just blesses me as your employer. You know, you don't do that, right? Or you don't say, like, man, I'm grateful for the way that you've embezzled money from the company. You're just, you're killing it. You're, you're a great, you know, great part of the team, whatever. What he's saying is you are faithful people, I thank God you are true children of God. This is not generic faith, okay? This is not a vibe. They're not manifesting, all right? This is concrete 
firm, trustworthy faith in the person of Jesus. And they are abounding in this faith. They are abounding in love. And it's this overflow of hope. Um, uh, A lot of commentaries call this the great triad of Christian attributes, faith, hope, and love. So we're going to look at these three uh, hallmarks, these three attributes this morning. So point one, if you're taking notes, is this, is that our faith, everyone say faith, is in the finished work of Jesus. Colossians 1 verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in what? In Christ Jesus. Um, We live in a rapidly changing world. Uh, and, and we're in a phase in history that's not unique, um, but we're in a place where basically all truth is relative, right? We say things like, this is my truth, you know? Like, I don't want to put this on you. And so, like, hey, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious, you know? Or like, hey, all, all paths kind of lead up the same mountain, if you've heard that before. Here's the problem with that ethic. It's the polar opposite of what Jesus taught. And I think something that we have to do as modern Christians is we have to approach this and we have to look and say, what's the way of salvation that Jesus taught? Like, not what's the most comfortable for me, not what's the most accepted in our culture, but what did Jesus say about the way of salvation? Let's look, John 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Matthew 7, verse 13 through 14. Enter through the narrow gate. Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus made the bold and radical claim that abundant life both now and for eternity after death is only available through him. Yo, this is very important for us. And so I want to ask you a question. When you think about your faith, are you in a place where you, like, you have firm, confident faith that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Or are you in a place where if you're really honest, you're looking for other things, other earthly things to try to give you the security and the confidence and the peace you've been searching for? To use biblical language, are you looking to other things to save you? Religion would say... It's the thing you do that saves you, right? Secularism would say it's what you achieve that saves you, right? So it would be your success or your sex life or the way that you're viewed, you know, your social media following. Here's the issue. Success fades, sex stops, and the popular view of, uh, of what influenced all that is shifts like sand, This is not something you can build a firm foundation on. So what I want to submit to you this morning is that the place that we can find firm faith and salvation is only found in the person of Jesus. You know, in the middle of a world that offers no real security, either now or after death, Jesus offers a clear path to life secured by his works and by his eternal power. He is the narrow gate. He is the way. This is the radical claim of Jesus John Tyson said it this way. He said, Jesus and the writers of the New Testament described our state apart from him, that's God, as being dead, enslaved, and blind to the things of God in our natural state. 
Apart from faith in his death and resurrection and the indwelling by the Holy Spirit, we're unable to know God and live as a follower of Jesus. He goes on to say, in the midst of a world that tells us the good life can be achieved and maintained if we work hard enough, the promise of grace freely given is truly good news. Here's the picture. As I was coming into this, I know that there's some of us, I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands, but I know that there's some of us who it's like every time you walk into church, there's like this insecurity in you of like, man, like if people knew what I did, or maybe there's a sense in you where it's like, when you're really honest, you're like, man, God hates me. Like God sees the things that I'm doing. I see the things that I'm doing. I hate myself, so God must hate me. Here's the offer of faith. It's that you can sit back in the person of Jesus like you would sit back in a recliner and relax knowing that he's got you. For a lot of us, we go through life sitting in the chair of faith like I made it. I'm telling you, if I made a chair, you would never want to sit in it. It would be the worst chair that you've ever seen. I have zero, like craftsmanship on the spiritual gifts test or just natural life skills test. It's the lowest, all right? I'm not good at that stuff. But a lot of times what we're doing, we put faith in our amount of faith. We don't put our faith in the object, okay? So when we think about faith, a lot of times we think about like, I need to conjure up more faith. Like, oh man, I'm lacking faith. You're putting the impetus on yourself, Instead of saying, I believe and I know that Jesus is who he says he is, and regardless of how I fail, he never will. Faith, secure faith, justification is the theological word, is that we can sit back and know that we're saved by his work, not by our work. Amen? Now, this doesn't mean that there's not things that that calls us into, okay? So a lot of times, like the other fallacy I, I, I found in Southern Christianity is like, I've got my, my get it out of hell free card. Who's got that? You guys bring it with you? Um, and we just think, hey, yo, I'm testifying. This was me. I grew up in the South. I went to youth group, and I was an absolute heathen, but I responded to a lot of altar calls. But here's what shifted. Once I got a glimpse of who Christ was, and the fact that I could actually trust him, like he could actually bear the weight of my issues and my sin, I, I realized that not only could I change, I have to change. Like if this is who God is, I've got to change my life. I want to become like him. We talked about that earlier. Our goal is to be with him, become like him, and then learn how to live like he lived. Yo, know, we have faith in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. This is the message of the gospel. And this is it. This is the true faith that the Colossians believed in. I want to outline this for us. This is the true gospel, that God became man named Jesus of Nazareth, that he walked around, he lived, he was born, he overcame all the temptations of sin, all the things that we failed, that we fall into. He lived a sinless life of purposeful obedience. He healed the sick, he gave good news to the poor, then he was accused by his countrymen, he was abandoned by his friends, he was executed by his government, and he rose from the dead so that we could have a relationship with our creator. Yo, this is the aspect of faith that it makes no sense if all you do is look at the natural, right? But there's something within us that knows that there's more in life. Charles Taylor called it the imminent frame. Like we, we all know that there's more to life than what we're seeing. And what Christ said, that deeper thing you're longing for that nothing on earth can satisfy 
If you come to Jesus and you come and drink from him and you come and rest in him, you'll find that soul satisfaction you're looking for. And the amazing thing about the gospel is that that faith doesn't just give you security, it actually transforms and renovates your heart. And it gives you the ability to truly love other people. Faith in Christ is a sign of true spiritual life, but it's not just faith, it's love that points to the transformation of Jesus. Number two, our love, everybody say it with me, our love, now notice this, for each other is an overflow of our faith in Jesus. Colossians 1, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love, the love you have for all of God's people. Now, something I think we do a pretty good job of as modern people is realizing that we need to love people who are different from us, right? Like, I, I think we all, especially what we've seen the past few years, is like, we're ready to get behind a charge. But, but here's an important distinction. A true mark of, of Christ-centered love is the ability to love other Christians. Now, have you ever been annoyed by another Christian? Have you ever looked at somebody and been like, dude, I'm trying to love you, but I, I don't like you. You know, like, don't come around me, all right? There, there is deep, costly work to love other Christians. Um, there's, there's things in our world that look like love, but it's, it's love of convenience, not love of covenant. What does that mean? It's, it's love that's easy. It's not love that's costly. And what Christ calls us into is if we are Jesus' followers, he necessarily calls us into costly relationship with one another. Jesus said this. He said, by this, everyone, you'll know that you're, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Uh, Ronald Rollheiser, he's got a book called A Holy Longing. Uh, he describes a woman who has all these attributes of faith but isn't in relationship within the church. This is what he says. He says, thus, despite all of her faith, all of her concern for the poor, and her mellowness of spirit, she still lacks full balance. Why? What can be missing from a life so honest, prayerful, and gracious? It's the grounding, earthiness, and necessary pain that only real involvement within a concrete parish-type or church-type family can give you. You know, the gospel of Jesus is not a gospel just for you, it's for us. So when we go through our liturgy, we talked about this last week, generosity is not bringing money to the church so the church can go out and do things. It's us pooling our resources so we as a collective unit can do the things that God has called us to do. L love is active. Love is costly. Love is painful. Last night, we were up at the hospital with a friend who lost her father. Y'all, that's not convenient. It doesn't feel good. At 10 o'clock at night, you don't wake up and think, you know what I want to do? I want to go grieve. Oh, just some delicious grief. That's what I want right now. You don't want that. But I'm telling you, you know, there is a depth of life that we can only find through walking through pain and suffering with others. Because the reality of life, whether we, whether we like it or not, is we're going to experience pain. <laughs> can I get an amen from anybody? Amen. Tim Keller, he says that, all other worldviews attempt to sit in happiness and try to avoid pain and sorrow. Only Christianity gives the, us the ability to sit in life's sorrows for tasting the coming joy. Now, why is it important that we love each other? Um, have you ever gone to somebody's house and they're like fighting in front of you? Okay, I want you to check this out. I got like a one-minute clip from our culture to help uh, illustrate this. 
Coming. Hello. What are you doing here? We came here to eat dinner and to party. This is a dinner party, right? Awesome. What is he doing here? Yes, what are you doing here? Dwight is my friend. Fine. So, whatever you want. Just like always. Whatever you want. Whatever I want? It's never whatever I want. When I wanted to see Stomp and you wanted to see Wicked, what did we see? We saw... We, oh. When I said that I wanted to have kids and you said that you wanted me to have a vasectomy, what did I do? And then, oh. when you said that you might want to have kids and I wasn't so sure, who had the vasectomy reversed? And then when you said you definitely didn't want to have kids, who had it reversed back? Stip, snap, stip, snap, stip, snap. <laughs> I did. And I bought this condo to okay. fill with children. I am so sorry that I don't want to bring kids into this screwed up world, okay? I'm but look, too. if you want to have kids, then fine, you win. So can we come in? <laughs> okay, what Dwight does there at the end, people are just not gonna do, okay? And so for us guys, it is so important that we interact with each other with love and with grace, and we interact in conversation. You know, one of my rules of life is I don't engage in arguments. I'll engage in a conversation all day long. Like, if we're going to argue, I'm not super interested in that. But if we're having a conversation where we can mutually learn from each other, and sometimes guys say, let's agree to disagree, but we're going to love each other through this. Y'all, if, if we cannot do that as the church, we will fail to be the light for the world. We'll fail to be a beacon of hope because you know, the world loves each other when it's convenient. But when the convenient ends, the relationship breaks. But for us, we're to be tied into covenant and promise-oriented relationship that doesn't break when things get difficult or hard. Amen? Love takes many forms. Sharing our lives, that's our time. Sharing our resources, that's through our giving. Sharing our wisdom through discipleship. Listen, some of you guys in here, you're a, you're, you're a well of wisdom. And I bet if I had people raise their hands and they said, man, I'm dying for a mentor, you'd be shocked. Listen, especially as you get further along in your faith, y'all, there are young people who need you and there's a place for you here. I'm telling you, I've talked to so many people who are getting into their 50s, 60s, and 70s and are like, ah, there's just no use for me anymore. I'm telling you, there are young people in their faith who are trying to figure it out who would beg to differ. You have value. You can share your insights. Y'all, listen, sometimes that's in the form of a rebuke, okay? We need that. Sharing our pain and our weakness, that's your vulnerability, y'all listen. Something we say from time to time here is that the church must be the place where the worst of you can be known and you'll be loved more, not less for it. If we don't build each other up in Christ-centered love, we'll be ineffective in our mission to the world. If we go out and reach them, but we don't disciple, who will disciple future generations of believers? It's so important that we do this. So a question to answer is when it comes to loving other believers through your time, through your resources, all those things, how well are you doing? And here's what I encourage you with. Like if you're hitting that place, you're like, I'm blowing it. Listen, you can change that, all right? Jump into a small group, find places to serve. And I'm telling you, if you do that, it will bring transformation into our world. Um, one last thing on that. Um, what can happen to us as the church is we can become like a concert venue. Have you ever gone to see like a basketball game or something like that? And like when the team is winning, everybody's like slapping hands and high five and like everybody's your brother and your sister and it's amazing. And then you leave and you never talk to that person again. That's what church can be reduced down to. 
it can be reduced down to a show that you might as well buy a ticket to. But God's called us to something much deeper. He hasn't called us to network. He's called us into deep covenantal relationships. And there's cost, but y'all, it's, it's the most amazing blessing that you can have in your life. And I'm telling you, when life gets difficult and you look around to see the people around you, it'll show you your network and your relationships. Amen? Uh, lastly, so number one, we have faith in Jesus. Our faith in Jesus overflows into love for other believers. And lastly, our confident hope in the age to come. Now, we would call that heaven. I call it the age to come because um, we, we have this picture of heaven that it's just kind of like this otherworldly thing we can't understand or explain. But the scripture actually gives us clarity that God's going to bring a new heavens and new earth and renewal. And it's going to be a beautiful thing. So our confident hope in the age to come, listen to this, transforms how we live today. It transforms how we live today. Uh, Colossians 1, 5b through 6, it says, Faith and love that spring from hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Now imagine this. Y'all with me? Y'all with me? Okay. Uh, Imagine this. You and somebody else go to work in a factory, okay? One of you, and it's a terrible factory, like it's back-breaking work, okay? You're going in, like you're picking stuff up, you're moving stuff around, you're doing all that kind of stuff. And they're like, if you do this for a full year, we're going to offer you $15,000, okay? And now another person comes in, and they're like, if you do this for a year, we're going to give you $50 million at the end of the year. Who do you think is going to whistle while they do that back-breaking work? Because they know on the other side of it, there's glory, right? It would transform the way they interacted with their coworkers. They're like, yo, I can go through this. You know, on the other side of this, $15 million, I'm in. The person who's got 15K waiting on them, they're like, it's not worth it. I'm out. They're going to have a bad attitude, whatever. Yo, our Christian hope for the afterlife actually gives shape to our present experience today. If we, if we really understand what Christ has stored up for us, it'll transform the way that we love each other. It'll transform the way that we have faith as we go through hardship. Because, y'all, the, the gospel of Jesus is that this life is not the end. Now, the life of heaven is breaking into our current world. We call that the kingdom. But in the end, after we live this life of purpose that Christ has invited us into, our promise is glory. There's, there's a beautiful picture at the end of the Chronicles of Narnia um, in, in the book, The Last Battle. It says this. It's talking about the children as they've gone through this whole journey. It says, all their life in this world and all their adventures had only been a cover and title page. And now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before. Y'all, the best moments of this life are an appetizer. They're a foretaste of the glory to come. What Jesus promises is that he is actively and progressively renewing our world and that one day he'll return again. Um, And what this gives us is a firm hope. Y'all, listen, our world, uh, hope is optimism, right? It's like, I hope the Razorbacks win the Natty next year. All right? I hope. Like, I hope I get the promotion. You know, I hope my child is not upstairs drawing on the walls or destroying my office or whatever it is, right? But they are, yeah. 
But what Christian hope offers us is something that's rare in this world, and it's certainty. And if, if we believe in the gospel of Jesus, if we believe in the hope that's offered to us, y'all, it absolutely transforms the way we love each other and the way that we walk through the world today. Amen? And so what we're going to do is we're going to go into a time of reflection and response. And my, my heart for this as we're coming into it is just that God would start to stir up our hunger for something more. That God, God would stir up our hunger for something deeper. Because the reality is, is so often we muddle through life without purpose, without meaning. And what God wants to do through the Holy Spirit is he wants to bring you freedom and peace and purpose. And y'all listen, life can beat us down. Like you might look and say like, hey, at one point in my life, like I was so full of faith and then the things that I've seen, that's diminishing. Y'all, Christ wants to meet you in that and restore to you the hope for what he's doing. And so we're gonna take a few moments and we're just gonna reflect. And we've got certain response stations around the church. We do this every weekend. Uh, there at the cross, there's cards. Listen, if you're carrying burdens, things that you're praying through, uh, things that you're struggling with, and you just wanna write it down and, and it's a physical action just saying, hey, I'm trusting Jesus with this. There's stations for you to do that. In the corners, there's candles lit. Listen, for some of us, we have friends and family who are far from God, like it weighs heavy on us. Go over, light a candle, pray for that person. Then back in the back, uh, we'll have some life group leaders and pastors, elders back there. If you need prayer, listen, you're carrying some heavy burdens. You don't wanna go through it alone. You can go back and get prayer. But listen, also, you may come into church every time and be like, man, I don't know if I'm gonna make it to heaven. <laughs> I don't know if God loves me. Listen, you can leave that behind today. You can have a moment where you can say, Christ, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you did what you said you did. And I just received the grace and forgiveness. And you can get on this journey, this path with Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for all that you're doing and all that you've done. God, I pray for anybody in here who's just in a battle of faith. God, they're wrestling with things I just couldn't possibly deal with in a 30-minute talk. God, I, I pray that you, by your spirit, would meet them in their doubt. And God, you just graciously invite them to trust you and lean into you. God, I just pray specifically for the person who's, you're carrying like a sin battle um, and you just don't really believe that God can handle it. I just wanna encourage you to, to just lean into him. Doesn't mean it's gonna go away right away, but he can handle it and you can receive his love. If you're in here and you're just struggling with love for other believers. <laughs> you're just frustrated. I want to pray for you right now. God, I pray for anybody who's just struggling with uh, love for a friend or maybe somebody in another church or maybe some, somebody from the past in our church experience. God, I just pray that the grace you've given us would overflow. And God, I pray for a release right now by your spirit. Lastly, God, I just pray that you'd stir up our hunger and our hope for what's to come. God, give us a desire to walk in your truth and to spread your gospel. God, endure with joy. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, 
Hey guys, thanks for listening in. I hope that this message blessed you and it helps you in your journey with Jesus. If it did, leave a comment, leave a review, things like that help us spread the message of Jesus. Uh, if you want to connect with us, the best way to do that is to follow us on Instagram at, at NLC Downtown Little Rock to follow along with the life of our church.